you have a copy of God's Word, once you find the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we're going to be at tonight. And as you are finding your way there, um, I had the opportunity to do what probably a lot of you have already done in your life, but it was new to me. Um, I got to take my family. If we don't know each other very well, I have a wife and I have three girls, seven, six, and two. And when you're looking to go on a family vacation in the Midwest and you are from Missouri, the place that you go with your family is Branson, right? And some of y'all, yeah, there you go. And I'd never been to, uh, I've been to Branson, but I'd never been to this particular amusement park that rests in Branson called Silver Dollar City, SDC, anyway. And so we went to Silver Dollar City a couple of weeks ago. And uh, with my crew, it's a little bit uh, dicey when you go to an amusement park because we're at all different levels. And so um, we spent some time like riding the really, really um, exciting, nauseating, you know, you only have to be like two foot to ride these rides, you know, like the teacups and all that stuff. And then we rode some kind of middle of the road rides. And, and then there was a particular time in the day where I was able to peel off with my seven-year-old, who, who's a little bit tall for her age, and she meets the minimum required height for like the big roller coasters, all right? And like, she's got like two inches where she can, you know, she, she can make that uh, roller coaster work. And so I go with her and I say, hey, do you trust daddy? And she kind of looked at me like, uh, what do you mean, you know? And I'm like, do you trust me? And she's like, I think so. And I'm like, well, come on, let's go ride the Time Traveler. Now, the Time Traveler at Silver Dollar City is one of their uh, newest roller coasters. And, and remember, a seven-year-old looking at the Time Traveler, and if you haven't been there, I brought a picture of the Time Traveler. You can see it right here. All right. And that's legit, okay? And so it is like loop-de-loops. It is like free falls. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Anyway, and I, so I'm like, do you trust Daddy? We get in line for the time traveler, and she's just like getting glimpses and then hearing screams of people who never return, all right? And so she's just seeing, and so she's like, Daddy, is this going to be okay? And I'm like, look, you know, look at Daddy. You're not going to die, all right? I can promise you that. You're not going to get hurt, but this is probably going to be the riskiest thing that you've ever done in your life, okay? But trust Daddy, I'm going to be right here next to you. I'm going to have my hand on you, and I'm going to be talking to you. And girl, if you get scared, just close your eyes and listen to Daddy's voice, and it's going to be all right. Anyway, we get on the time traveler, man. We're locked in. I'm looking at her. You ready? She's like... Yeah, you know, anyway, we, and we go, you know, and it turns you, and then you, you're gone, and I'm, and I'm looking at Lydia the whole time, eyes locked on her, and I'm vacillating between uh, statements like, you're doing awesome, and woo, you know, and I'm just enjoying it, and, and there was like a, a moment where she kind of has that like, oh, I'm going to die look, you know, but man, she did it. And when she got done, she was like, yes. And I was looking at her and I was like, yeah, you know. And this was a big deal because this was our first big roller coaster. Man, I was so proud of her. And I was like, Daddy is so proud. Thank you for trusting me. And I share that story with you tonight because this is a picture of what God is inviting all of us into tonight. Like God is this good father, and he is coming to every one of us, and he's asking this important question that is so difficult when you really begin to think about your life. But the question is this, do you trust me? And when you look at God, you're like, I don't, I don't know, I think so. And then some of you are here and like you've barely met the requirements for a particular occasion. And you're thinking, I don't know if I'm ready, God. I don't know if I meet the requirements. And he's like, do you trust me? 
And you're like, I'm, I'm kind of like a first-time follower of yours, Jesus. Like, like I just got saved uh, this spring, and, and you're putting in my life this thing unashamed where I have to, like, go into the city and, like, share my faith and pray for places. And I don't even know how to pray out loud, really. And, and then you want me to, like, worship and pray in, like, the, the, at the plaza at Mill Creek. I don't, God, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he's like, do you trust me? And you're like, yes. And he's like, well, come on. And others of you, man, you're like season ticket holders when it comes to Christianity, right? And you've been tracking with the Lord for some time, and he's still coming to you anew, and he's saying, hey, do you trust me? And wherever you're at on the map, he's inviting you to wrestle with this question tonight, and he's saying, hey, do you trust me? But the reality is that we've walked in here with tonight is, is that there is something that makes it very, very difficult that we all really, really like. It makes it really, really difficult to trust God. And the one thing that we all really, really like that makes it really difficult to trust God is control. Where am I perfectionist at in the house? <laughs> yeah, that raise our hand straight up, you know. Sitting up, like good posture, I see you. There's this new phrase in our culture called multidimensional perfectionism. You have a category, y'all. <laughs> like, oh, I've got, a, I've got a group. We should, you know, form a support group. Anyway, multidimensional perfectionism, here's what that means, is that you feel an inordinate amount of pressure to be perfect at everything, Right? And so you got to have the best grades, you got to have uh, the best job, you got to have the most money, the best hairdo, you've got to have it all together. And what, st what studies are showing is that it is impossible and quite exhausting to maintain that lifestyle. And so men, the men that struggle with perfectionism, typically that's rooted in our reality or in our desire to want to be the best. It's rooted in competition. And, and women, the perfectionism that comes out in you, that's, that's rooted in you wanting to be liked the most, just generally speaking. A sociologist by the name of Dr. Simon Sherry, he said this, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. He said, we found today's young people are, are more perfectionist than ever before. In fact, we found perfectionism has increased substantially since 1990. This means millennials struggle with perfectionism more than, than previous generations. And like, where does it come from? Well, one of the places it comes from is that your parents have put a lot of pressure on you to be perfect, all right? All right, but we can't blame them. There's some other things that we've got to own. Listen, perfectionism is a myth, and social media is the storyteller. And so we hop on the gram, you know, looking for our daily dose of, of affirmation all the while just to find out that comparison, like Teddy Roosevelt said, one of our former presidents, is the thief of all joy. And so we hop on Instagram looking for affirmation, but then we start measuring ourselves up to the lives of other people. And listen, it is selling us a lie that there is perfection out there that we can attain, but it doesn't exist. And we should be skeptical of people who put forward this ideal of perfectionism. And so God is here tonight, and, and he's inviting us to do something that may seem a little bit challenging and a little bit difficult. He's inviting us to lose control and to, and to embrace this reality that we can't be perfect and to come to the conclusion that he is perfect and he is trustworthy, and he's looking at you saying, do you trust me? If you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. This is the title of the message. Trust me. Trust me. Here's what I want you to see tonight. That risk is a reality, but you got to trust God. That nothing is perfect, and you need to trust 
God and that you need to choose to refuse to worry while seeking to trust God. So we've been in this series called A Life Well Lived where we've been tracking through Ecclesiastes and and this is uh, some writings from a man named Solomon, perhaps the wisest man outside of Jesus ever to live. And tonight he's going to give us some perspective on this longing that we all have but this illusion that we all fall for and it's perfection. Ecclesiastes 11, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. He says, send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. Uh, grain in this culture, it represented like, like your potential. It, it represented your money. It represented your, your salary. And, and if you wanted to, to make more grain or make more money off your grain, you had to send it away and hopefully sell it. But it was a little bit risky, right? And, and y'all know this principle that Solomon's getting at it. In order for you to make money, you got to spend money, right? Like in his culture, he would say, no grain, no gain, all right? That's what he's saying. Anyway, verse 2, but divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risk might lie ahead. So he's saying diversify your investments, get a mutual fund, whatever. Anyway, point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Risk is a reality. Risk is a reality. Newsflash, everything is a risk. Like there's this illusion that a lot of us have walked in here with tonight, and it's the illusion that you are actually in control. And this illusion, it creates in us a hesitancy to take risk with the things that we have in our life, uh, not to mention we've grown up in a very safe society, right? Like some of y'all, your mom put a helmet on you, elbow pads, knee pads, just so you could walk to the bus stop, all right? No bikes involved. And then she watched you every day of your life until you were a junior in high school, sitting there in the window going, one, four, three, one, four, three, I love you. That's what that means, one, four, three. Anyway, it, you're, not your mom, maybe my, anyway. So you grew up in this environment where, where it was extremely safe. And so this thought of taking a risk, man, we just get, we get hesitant and we resist taking a risk. And there's this illusion that we're in control. And this illusion of control, it fuels perfectionism. But listen, it's an illusion. It's all smoke. It's all mirrors. And God has entrusted to everyone here tonight something that he wants you to risk. Now, now, let me be clear. Risk, when I say that word, I don't mean like recklessly go out and just spend something and be crazy, all right? You've got to seek wisdom when you're seeking to risk. And so here's a great thing to do when you're seeking to risk. Go to God, pray. God, what do you want me to do with this thing in regards to risk? And then go to your community and ask for wisdom. Where there are many advisors, the plans are sure to succeed, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs as well. Jesus told a story talking about risk in Matthew chapter 25, and he told this story about these, these, these three guys who basically their boss had given them what's called a talent or, or just given them some money. One guy, he gave five talents, one guy, he gave two talents, and one guy, he gave one. And he basically said, hey, I'm, I'm entrusting you some money, and I want you to go do something with it. Now, the guy with five and the guy with two, they invested and they took a risk with that money, and, and they, they doubled it. And here's what the boss says, Jesus records in Matthew 25, 23. He says that the, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. You took the five, you took the two, and you doubled it. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
Now, the guy with one talent or one little bit of money, what he did is, is he wanted to control his money. And, and so he took it. He took the money that was given to him. He put it under the mattress like your granny used to do. He put it under his mattress, and then every day he went and checked underneath the mattress, and he said, hey, is it still there? Yes. And he kept tight watch on that money. He controlled that money. He didn't put it out there for anybody else to abuse still. He controlled it. But he didn't do anything with it. He never took a risk. And here's Jesus' words for this guy in verse 29. Excuse me, in, in verse, I think it's 27, it says, you wicked and lazy servant. And then he goes on in verse 29 and 30 with the conclusion statement. He says, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Check this out. And cast the unprofitable servant, the one that sought control, the one that wouldn't risk anything, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, Jesus is making it really clear that in his economy, it is a wicked thing to play it safe. Like if you've come in here and you don't want to take risks, Jesus is saying that you are a lazy and wicked servant, that it is a sin, it is wicked to not take risks. And the wicked, they seek to control things that God has told them to invest. So what has God told you to risk? What has God told you to risk? Now take a deep breath because listen, I'm gonna make it real easy. God has only told you to risk the things that he's given to you. So the next question is, what has God given to you? Somebody said everything. What do you have today as a 25-year-old, as a 31-year-old, or wherever you're at? What do you have today that God has not given to you ultimately? God is only asking you to risk that which he has given to you. He's asking you to risk everything. Now, now, when I say risk, I'm not saying, like, you need to go, like, get a squirrel suit, find an airplane, jump out of an airplane, be like, for Jesus, you know, and then glide to your death, right? I'm a martyr. No, you're not, all right? That's not, you're crazy, okay? When I say risk, what I'm talking about is that you need to think about the things in your life that you need to risk for the kingdom, FTK, for the kingdom of God. And so let me, let me give you like two spectrums when it comes to risk in my life. Now, I grew up not with a lot of money, all right? And so we were like on like government-funded uh, lunches. And so I paid like two dimes if I had it to eat lunch, but I just had an account. And at the end of the year, my mama paid like $3 so I could eat lunch, all right? That's how we grew up. I didn't have central heat and, and air conditioning in my house for a number of years. My dad just laughed and said, you boys thought it was normal to sweat in the summer and freeze in the winter. This is how we rolled. Anyway, and so that's how I grew up. So when it comes to money for me and, and financial security, that's kind of a little bit of a touchy subject because I don't want to go back there. Like my first house had more mileage than my first car, all right? Some of y'all, is a trailer house, you'll get that. Anyway, so I don't want to go back there. So, so when it came for Chelsea and I to step into ministry full time, we had to risk our financial security. We took a 50% pay cut to step into ministry full time. And God is saying, you need to be willing to trust me with your wealth. I've got you. Trust me. 
So that's one end of the spectrum. Some of y'all, like, you're going to have to change some of the things that you're doing vocationally as a result of what God is doing through this message and in your life. You may have to change some things. Others of you, it may just be something as simple as this. Like, I was at the park this weekend pushing my Anna Joy on her swing, and, and uh, this guy rolls up, and, and like, he, he's like a guy about my age. He's dressed nice. He's got a son, and, you know, we're just kind of dad life hanging out there. And so I start talking with him, owns his own business, and, and, and man, I, I want to be accepted, you know? Like, I don't know if you are like that, but I just want people to like me. I want to try to connect with people. So he's telling me, yeah, I'm on business, and, but, and I like to play golf. And I'm like, well, if you're about to have more kids, that's going to be difficult. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to figure it out. And, and, and then, like, there's this tension inside of me. Should I risk being rejected by this dude who, who's cool? Man, he was a cool guy. Should I risk being rejected, not accepted, in order to have that spiritual conversation? And so I'm like, you know what? Who cares? Let me go for it. Hey, man, um, do you have a local church? Oh, no, I don't go to church, and we go through this conversation. And whether God is calling you into a conversation that may seem risky or he's calling you into a whole other vocation that may seem risky, listen, risk for the kingdom is always right. And risk is a reality. So what do you need to risk? Some of you, you need to risk rejection. Some of you, you need to risk your wealth. Others of you, you need to risk a relationship. You may need to break up with him or her. Uh, yet others of you, you need to risk being ridiculed because you are spending a season of your life going towards something that by most standards seems crazy. But when we avoid a situation in order to avoid risk, it's wrong. God is saying that risk is right. Listen, you will never regret risking for the Lord. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's got like the poster child for this. And there's several stories about him that he risked some, some incredible things. Like in Acts chapter 14, he's doing basically what I'm doing, but his audience had rocks in hand. And so imagine y'all picked up some gravel on the way in, and you're like, you know what, I don't like the way this guy is preaching. And you just started throwing rocks. Like I could probably dodge about four of them because I'm a part of the cobras anyway, but I couldn't make it through all of them, all right? And so they start throwing rocks at Paul, and they pelt him with rocks so much so that they think he's dead. They drag his body outside the city gates, put a DNR sign on his body. He, that means do not resuscitate. And then he comes to life miraculously. Now, most of us would have been like, you know what? Good day in the pulpit. I'm going to my mama, and I'm just going to let her know that they were mean to me, you know? But Paul, it's crazy. He says, my life is nothing. That I may make known the mystery that God has entrusted to me and implore people who may have just thrown rocks at me and may not have received the message of Christ to implore them to be reconciled to God. He brushes the haters off, goes back in the city, continues to preach. And this risky business of his, it ultimately led him to lose his head by the Roman authorities. And I want you to imagine Paul, he's walking into heaven and he hears these words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your Lord. And God's like, hey, you did some amazing things, Paul. Thank you so much for risking. And he was like, you were worth it all, God. 
He's like, Paul, you have no idea what your risk has led to, like your risk to live a life on mission. It has spread the gospel throughout the known empire of Rome. Your risk, Paul, you have no idea. But 2,000 years later, Paul, there are going to be people in this continent, this nation called America, and they are going to be having children. And you know what they're going to name their little baby, little Snookums? They're going to name him Paul after you, Paul, because you had such an impact on this world. Paul, you remember those letters you were writing to the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus? the one at Galatia, the church at Philippi. Remember those letters you write? Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Paul, they are going to be miraculously preserved throughout time. They're going to be placed in a book called the Bible. What's that? Well, I'll explain it later, but it's the Bible. It's going to be the best seller of all time, Paul, and you're going to be one of the greatest contributors to that book, Paul. That's what your risk amounted to. Was it worth it, Paul? Yes. Because any risk for God is always worth it. Listen, if you don't live a life of risking for the kingdom and play it safe, you'll never experience the thrill of following Christ. In paradigm, we will perish if we play it safe. Christianity will perish in our generation if we play it safe. That the church, it spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire because men and women did not count their lives worthy to hang on to, but they risked it all. That's the, that's the legacy that we embody. That's the legacy that we stand on. See, in order for you to mature and in order for you to grow into the man or the woman of God he's created you to be, you've got to risk. You've got to lose control because, listen, you can have control or growth, but you can't have both. You can have control and you can hide your life underneath the bed mattresses of safety and comfort or you can grow into the man of God and the woman of God that he's created you to be. You can have control or growth, but you can't have both. We don't need to control our lives because God is in control and he is a trustworthy God and so risk it all for him. You'll never regret it. Solomon, he goes on in verse 3 and he says this, when clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. What he's saying is that there are just some things that we can't control, right? I mean, like when it rains, it rains. Not like you can say, hey, you know what? I don't feel like rain today. Like it ain't going to change nothing. When the tree fell because of the wind, it fell where it fell, and that's where it fell, right? You weren't like, you know what? Did you move? 30 degrees that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Solomon's just making observations. Verse 4, he says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they, they never harvest. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is perfect. Some of y'all are like, control? I don't know if I live in the illusion of control. Like, I'm not really a control freak. But, you know, really, I would not handle that text the way you handle it, Chad. Really, I'm not a control freak, but, you know, there's just people around me, and they just don't do things right. Okay, if you're saying that, you're a control freak, all right? And you think you, it's going to be perfect, but I don't think it's going to be perfect. But listen, perfection is this longing that we all have and an illusion that we all believe at times. So I did a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and the bride that was getting married, like she is OCD, perfectionism, and she, I mean, she's into the details, and praise God she's into the details because she has this job where she has to like record medical information, 
and, and I want somebody that is OCD in the details recording my medical information, right? So she's made for that job. But, but when she was uh, communicating with me about their wedding, like she has been dreaming about this day her whole life, right? Ever since she can remember, it's going to be this place. I'm going to have my man, my dress, my dad, all this stuff, right? And so there's a lot of thought that's gone into this event, ladies, you can imagine. And, and, and I'm not so much a perfectionist, like I'm married one. And so I feel like I'm, I'm kind of the, the balancing act there. And so like she was having some issues with my communication and my attention to details or lack thereof uh, in regards to this wedding. I think I was causing some stress in her life. Uh, anyway, we get there and everything's played out perfectly, all right? And so the weather was, it was an outdoor wedding and the weather was beautiful. And so we had the perfect day. Uh, we had the perfect venue, like her dress was perfect, everything was perfect, and we get there, and I'm locked in place, and I got the groom standing right next to me, and I'm like, man, it's going down. You know, I'm shaved in my suit, everything's good. The man, or the best man locks in place, and, and just for safe measures, I look back, and I go, hey, bro, you got the rings? And he looks at me like this. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> No, he ain't playing. And I, and I look at the groom, and I just put my hand on his shoulder. I'm like, hey, it's, it's all right. I bet the ring bearer's got him. He goes, we don't have a ring bearer. Now, there's three things you need at a wedding, all right? The marriage license, you know, the couple, and the wedding rings, all right? These are some essentials, all right? If, if we forgot some flower petals, that's all right. And so in that moment, I'm like, I put my hand back on his shoulder. I'm like, hey, it's all right, man. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> Father. You know, and so the photographer's right here, and I'm like, say, girl, I forgot your name, but we ain't got no rings. If you could take care of that, that'd be good. And now here comes the bride, and let us not tell the bride that there's an issue, right? Because if this doesn't play out the way that she, I mean, we're going to have Bridezilla come out. Anyway, the camera lady tells the wedding planner that tells her assistant who sprints to the other building, finds the rings, gives them to the far left groomsman, who then passes them down to the next one, to the next one, to the best man. So that when I'm in place and I said, and now we will give and receive rings, boom, rings are right there. It's all good. We saved the day, all right? And I share that story with you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Right? Yeah. I share that with you because, listen, nothing's perfect. And your perfect day is more than likely going to have issues. On my wedding day, my dad stumbled in drunk just when I was getting ready to walk down the aisle. My perfect day. Nothing is perfect. And we can laugh at that story, but we all know this. But why are we so surprised when it doesn't play out perfect in our life? Like, why are we so shocked when things don't play out the way that we hoped they would? And it sends us in this spiral of, what, well, I didn't deserve this, and I need some medicine now. I, I need to go to Westport, or, or I need to just retreat and recluse. And, and I mean, why are we so surprised? You know that the Bible is very outright about what is happening in our world? It says in the book of beginnings, Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, it's the first book in your Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, we find out that God creates a perfect, a good, a great, working, functioning, rhythmic world. And he puts man and woman in the garden. That was his, that was his big mistake. 
He put us in there, gave us free will, and we rebelled against God, and we sinned against God. And when we did that, it fractured every bit of harmony that God put into place. And what was once perfect in utopia is now broken, and we will no longer see that. And listen, the suffering that you and I experience in our life is a result of this sin. And so we see natural disasters all the way down to cancer, all the way down to selfishness, division, gossip, and slander in our own hearts, and it's all a result of sin. This world is not perfect, and Solomon is saying it like, if you're waiting for the perfect conditions before you set some things in motion, you're going to die in the waiting room, all right? Like, it's never going to be exactly perfect. And you're going to have this paralysis of analysis, should I move and should I do this? And we live in a day and age where there's so many options. You go to Buffalo Wild Wings and it takes you 45 minutes just to read the menu, right? What kind of wings you want? Well, you can have them this way, this way, this way. You want them tossed, you want them fried, whatever it is. Like, I don't know, just make the decision for me, right? And we just, we, we want it to be perfect. And so some of you, you're like, you've been tracking with us for a while, and, and, and we'll ask you this question, like, hey, do you know Christ? And you're like, oh, yeah, man, I know Christ. You're like, are, well, are you connected in community? Well, man, I'm just I'm busy right now. You know, it's got a lot going on, and, and it's just not the right time for me, really, to get connected. But, I, but I'm, I'm good. Like, if I die, I'm going to heaven, but I just ain't got time to live like Jesus right now because, you know, it just it ain't the right time. And listen, if you're too busy to follow Christ, you're too busy. And, and, and life doesn't get any slower. It doesn't get any less distracted. I always kind of laugh inside to myself when I meet a single who's so busy. I'm like, bro, you should get a wife. You, you, should, get a, you should get three kids and let them wake you up at 1.30 in the morning for the last four mornings with a nosebleed. That's what you need. Yeah, you're busy. No, your priorities are wrong. And if you're waiting for it to be perfect, I'm going to get off work at 5 o'clock. There's going to be no traffic. And then when, once I hit some consistency, then I'll get involved. You're missing out. <laughs> Ladies, you, you're waiting for the perfect man, right? You were like, when I was 14, I made a decision to put a list together of the man that God was going to bring into my life. And so 87 things later, you're looking for the unicorn that doesn't exist, all right? And, and so maybe you need to relook at the scriptures and you need to not wait for the perfect alignment of everything before you actually will give a guy your phone number or give him a chance. Guys, we feel the pressure to provide financially. And so we find the woman of our dreams, so we think, and we enter in this relationship, and we're just waiting for that, that perfect dollar amount before we put a ring on it. All the while just stringing her along and saying, baby, one day, one day you'll be worth me investing and in providing security. And she's wondering, am I even worth it? And you are over there burning with lust and fighting sexual temptation. And all the while, guys, you need to ask yourself, am I, am I living biblically? Am I taking a risk to live biblically? Or am I just staying in this frame of mind trying to seek financial stability? Because listen, You'll never have enough money to be stable if money is your stability. So you need to take a risk to live biblically rather than financially stable. See, life is not a carousel. 
It's not, I'm going to predict, I'm going to get on the yellow horse. We're going to go round and round with nice, cozy, cute music. Life doesn't work that way. It's not perfect. Life is more like a roller coaster. You're, you're going to get on. There's a start. There's a finish. There's some unpredictable things. It's thrilling. It's scary. There's ups. There's downs. And this is life. Life isn't perfect. Solomon, he goes on in verse 5, and he says this, Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. He's saying God is sovereign. Look at the wind all the way down to the womb, that God is showing you that you're not in control by revealing to you that he is in control of things that you can't control. And, he's, and Solomon is making this observation. He goes on in verse 6. He says, so do this. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if, if, if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. He's saying do your best, work hard, trust God with the results. But this is hard because we want to know the outcome of, of it all. Like, like we want the spoiler alert for our life. But you're never going to get it. And at the root of this perfectionism is a desire to control. I don't know how you ride roller coasters, but there's like two different extremes, right? And, and so you, you put on the roller coaster, especially if it's one like the time traveler, and you're locked in, and, and, and there's that one extreme that's just hugging that thing as tight as you can, right? And you're like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know, you look down, you know, and then you get off, and you're like, oh, yeah, I wasn't scared at all. Yeah, I wasn't scared, yeah. Like, you said every explicitive, and I think you made up a few while hanging on, all right? I think you were scared, bro. Look at the photo, all right? And then there's the other extreme that's like, ah! <laughs> you know, you trust the system. You trust that the ones that put it in place, they knew what they were doing. The ones that went before you, they didn't die, therefore you ain't going to die. And you let go, and you enjoy the ride. And at the root of perfectionism is control, and listen, God never asked you to control anything, but he did call you to take care of everything. There's a difference between stewardship and sovereignty. God is sovereign over it all, and he has put some things in your life, and he said you need to steward these things. You will give an account for these things. You're responsible for these things, but you don't rule over them. And he's saying that you are not in control. God is in control from the wind to the womb. Look at all these, these things all around us to teach you this. And so he says, hey, so you need to plant your seed. That's what you need to do. You need to be committed to doing the things that you know are going to bring forth life. And so many of us are coming here, when it comes to like God's will and comes to like what, what God's playing out in our life, we, we just want to know, like, God, what man am I going to marry? What woman am I going to uh, marry? What, what future do I have? We want to know all these things. And listen, God wants to give you his unrevealed will, but not at the expense of you being disobedient to his revealed will. And God wants you to plant some seeds that he's laid out clearly in his word. Like, why would he trust you with the unknown if you haven't been faithful with the known? Why would he trust you with a wife when you can't even lead yourself, bro? You haven't even gotten sober from masturbating. Why would he give you a wife? Why is he going to trust you with the man when you haven't even searched the scriptures and identified the qualities of a godly man other than he's got an eight-pack and he's got a cool car? Why would he trust you with that? 
Why would he give you more when you haven't even made a commitment to give 10% to your local church? Why would he reveal to you the things about where you're going to be in your life and your job if you haven't searched the scriptures and figured out what it looks like to be faithful in the difficult, in the grind, and to be a godly employee? Why would he trust you with the unrevealed when you haven't been faithful to plant the seeds of his revealed will? Solomon, he goes on, and here's what he says in verse 7. He says, light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember that there will be many dark days. Every, everything still to come is meaningless. He says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything. So he's saying, enjoy your life. But be wise. We preached a message, if you haven't been tracking with us, three weeks ago. You should go listen to it. Because the, the virtue of enjoying all that God has given you can become a vice if you give in to sin. Verse 10, he says this. So refuse to worry. You could circle that phrase. And keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. Again, this word meaningless in the Hebrew is the word havel, and it means short. That he's saying that you have your whole life before you. You're only in your 20s or your early 30s. or You have your whole life before you, but it's going to go quick. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, write this down. Refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. Notice he says this in verse 10. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. Now, now my best friend in life uh, she struggles with worry, and that best friend that I'm speaking of, that's my wife. And so we talk about this a whole lot, and I tell her often, I'm like, hey, girl, no matter what cocktail of essential oils you don't rub from head to toe on you, all right, no matter the amount of organic chicken and kale and whatever else, whatever kombucha you got going on, all right, no matter the amount of exercise, like all those things will be undermined if you give in to worry consistently, because worry will shave years off your life. Now, ladies, let me, let me speak to you real quick. You have a proclivity to worry that is twice as great as your male counterpart. And the number one killer amongst women in America is heart disease. Do you think there's a connection between the two? I tell my wife, you might as well smoke a pack of Marlboro Reds like my dad did every time you're nail-biting and worrying about a certain thing. That worry may be the very thing that is robbing you of your life. And God is saying, trust me and don't worry. Jesus, he mentioned Solomon and worry in the same passage in Matthew chapter 6 and he says this in Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? He's like, which of you could worry and, and live any longer or be any taller so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory is not even arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? That's the key phrase. 
He goes on and says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For these are the things that the Gentiles seek, or the unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, that, that Jesus is saying, hey, life is too short to worry. And in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Five times in this passage, Jesus, or four times rather, he's saying don't worry. He's making it real clear that when you give in to worry, it's a sin. If you're taking notes, you could write this down, that worry is rooted in a lack of trust in God. Worry is rooted in a lack of trust in God. And if some of you are here, you're like, Chad, but you don't know my situation. You don't know the relationship that just tragically ended. You don't know the diagnosis that I just got. You don't know what's going on in my family right now. You don't know the financial crisis that I have right now. You don't know. Maybe I do know. I first stumbled upon this passage when I was 16. And my dad just got incarcerated because he loved the bottle more than our family. My mom woke us up and said, we're not having a Christmas this year, and we're probably going to lose our house, but we'll see. And worry gripped my life. I'm like, how are we going to make it? I don't know. I'm 16. I'm, I'm making 5.15 an hour working at Cavender's Boot City, coming in, bringing my measly dollars that I made, giving them to my mom. She's working three jobs. People giving us money. Christmas rolls around. We get fruit in our stocking. And one thing from a secondhand store. We put a for sale sign in the yard. We lose our house. We borrowed my uncle's truck, picked my dad up from rehab. When we got back, the repossession officer was there to take the truck. And this was my new normal. And God found me and spoke to me through this passage. And he said, hey, trust me. I know there's some ups and I know there's some downs. But don't worry about it. I got you. And some of y'all are thinking, man, well, how do you do that? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you navigate these seasons? And maybe you're right in the middle of something, and, and maybe you, you've been cutting yourself because you're so worried. Maybe you've been considering a suicide note because you're, or you've written the note and you've been, you've been considering killing yourself because you're so worried. Maybe you've been seeing a psychotherapist and you've been trying to get medicine because you're so worried, and you just don't know. You haven't eaten, you haven't rested well because you're so worried. How do you navigate these worries? How can Jesus say, don't worry about it? Because he's coming to you much like I came to my daughter. And he's saying, hey, do you trust me? And we're about to get into a place where it may be the scariest thing you've ever done. And if you start to freak out, just close your eyes and listen to my voice. And I'll help you. And I'll tell you, you're doing great. You've got this. And know that my presence will never leave you. And never will I forsake you, and I got you. And that's how you navigate worry. Oh, you of little faith, 
Jesus says. And what is faith? Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. No matter how you feel, knowing that, God's promise, knowing that God promises a good result. That faith is such a small thing, but it shatters the strongholds of worry in our life. Think of it like this. If you came in here and you were carrying this worry around, and it's something that, that seems so insignificant, but we go through life and we carry these things called worry. What spouse will I marry? What's going to happen uh, in my future? What's going to happen with my financial status? And I'm so worried about how I look. Am I strong now? Or am I skinny enough now? Or am I curvy enough now? Whatever your thing is. And, and you carry this worry around. And listen, faith is the thing that punctures our worries. And what's true about worry is true about that balloon. It's hollow. It, it's made of imagination. And when you worry, you're showing that you don't trust God. I wonder, would you trust God if you broke up with him? Would you trust God if, if you didn't get that pay raise? Would you trust God if you remained single the rest of your life? Would you trust God if your best friend died or if you lost a family member? Would you trust God if, if everything in your life fell apart, if all you had was Jesus? Would you trust God? Because listen, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And God is saying, come to me and trust me. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. I was talking with my, my wife about this, and I said, hey, what, what have you done to be able to navigate this, this perfectionism and control freak and, and worry and all that stuff? And here's what she says. She said, I stopped trying to make this earth my heaven and accept the truth that we live in a fallen world and to hold this life loosely. Then I don't need to control as much. And instead, I need to long for heaven and to be in the presence of God, knowing that in him there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That helps me with worry and control. Let go of my control and trust the one who is in control. And that's what God is saying. Do you trust me? Come follow me. It's thrilling. Do you trust me? Uh, my family, we would have never gotten into Silver Dollar City if, if we didn't trust a particular individual. See, we didn't pay to get into the amusement park. Come to find out, there were some people that we knew, and, and, and they connected us with the owner of the park. And the owner of the park, he has special privileges, as you could imagine. And, and he gave, like, this card to these people. And they said, hey, meet us at this gate at this time. And so we rolled up through the gate, and, and, and they just kind of, like, flashed this card. And the, the ticket counter's like, okay, what's this card? And, like, we know such and such. Like, oh, come on through. You know, and I'm like, yeah, what up, you know. And I'm just walking in. And listen, I knew the owner. He gave a gift that I received but then I walked into the gate in order to experience the thrills of the park. And this is a picture of the gospel, that God is the owner of it all, and he has come here tonight, and he is beckoning some of you, that he knit you, all of you together in your mother's womb, and he's saying, I own it all, and I want to extend to you an opportunity to come and follow me and to have this amazing life in Christ. It's a gift I want to give to you called salvation, that the wages of your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and he wants to give you this gift, but you must receive the gift and then enter in through the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father and experiences the thrill of a lifetime except through me. And once you enter into that gate, he says, there's some liberty in here. Let's go to the time traveler. Let's go to the Dalmatians. Let's go to this thing, whatever it is. And trust me, there's going to be some things you would have never have imagined. And I've got things that you can never even fathom in store for you. Would you trust me? And some of you would forfeit it all so that you could play it safe and have a good American life. And tonight I pray that you wouldn't do that. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for my friends coming tonight, for their faithfulness to come and to open up your word and to hear these ancient truths, to give us perspective on our life. Life is so short, it's meaningless, it's, it's a vapor. And God, I pray that we wouldn't look to anything under the sun for satisfaction because we won't find it. But God, we would be willing to risk it all for your sake that you would put clear things in our life that we know we need to risk and that we would have the courage to risk it. I don't think it's for lack of opportunity that we fail to risk. I think it's for lack of courage, God. So give us the courage to be bold, to lay down our lives, because in doing so, you say that we find life. God, I pray that you would help us to not be disenchanted by the imperfections of this world, but run to you as our perfect Heavenly Father, and we would find our completion and we would find our acceptance in you and you would help us when worry begins to surface up in our life to bring it to you and we would do what Luther said to pray and then let you worry God for my friend that is overwhelmed with worry because of things that have happened in their life God I ask that they would come to you and they would lay their worries down and they would trust that all your promises are true that your word says that in Christ, every promise is a yes and an amen. And God, would we believe that tonight in Christ's name, amen.